Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. We're going to be wrapping up our series called Self-Insufficient. We've been exploring this for a little while now. If you're just jumping into the story or joining us online or in our podcast, I'm going to catch you up a little bit with what we've been talking about because this idea and concept is simple, but at the same time, very complex. And, and here's, this is why this is complex. We have a God that we must fully rely on for everything, but at the same time, you are born and taught since a child to be completely independent and rely on no one. So now attention starts to rise, right? And this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, right? Like you want to teach your child to be able to take care of themselves, find shelter, find food. And if you're like me and love those like crazy outdoors adventure things where people go out and they're alone like in Alaska for like 90 plus days, I'm like, oh my word, that would be a dream for me. And I would last probably five days. But those people are fully independent. They do not rely on literally anybody except for the skills that they have. That's an extreme measure. We come to our measure, we say, okay, we want to be able to take care of ourselves, be able to provide for ourselves, be able to think for ourselves. That is a very good thing. But the problem is that our culture is shifting, and it's been shifting for quite some time. The American culture has shifted away from what we would call tribal or community-based thinking, which means that I rely on a group of people in which we take care of each other into an individualistic thinking, which means I am here for myself. Perfect example of this, uh, we live in the suburbs of a major city. Um, we all have the suburban wave, which means when you drive by someone, you do the nod in the fingers, and then we go into our driveway, we close our garage door. We don't really talk to our neighbors much. We don't do much with our neighbors. I mean, maybe you're the outlier, but in the average suburban life, we do the wave. We pretend like we know somebody. You have no idea who that person is. And then we move on and we get in our day. We get into our house, we shut our house down, and then we live within our own home, our own family. And so individualistically, I start to believe and think as a culture that my role is to take care of myself and those I'm in direct contact with. Have you ever thought that it's your role to take care of Slinger, Wisconsin? No, because we don't think that way. We don't think of Slinger as a tribe or a community. We think my job is to take care of myself. So when it comes into this way of thinking, individualism versus communal thinking, things have shifted just because of the nature of how our culture has shifted. And as we advance, we've advanced in science, we've advanced in technology. There's been no greater boom in any sort of advancement in human history than what's been happening to us in the last 30 years. They say that the greatest advancement that, would, that has come before this was the printing press. So you had the printing press in which the written word is now being transferred, and now we have, we don't need a printing press, all we need is a mobile device. And so technology and science is advancing, which now moves to this movement of humanism in which we are the greatest good. Humanism says that I believe that I am the greatest thing in the world, I am the greatest good, and humans are the pinnacle of everything. So if I am a humanist, I truly believe that I am it, therefore there is no God. 
because I'm the greatest being. What, what can beat humans? Look at how smart we are. We've, devi- we've created devices that over airwaves, you know, we can find news and find out what's happening with just a few clicks, and we don't even have buttons anymore. You just touch a glass screen, and look at how smart we are. And so as humans, we start to believe that we are the greatest thing until we discover something else, and now, now we're the greatest, right? So individualism and humanism comes in contact and starts to now clash with this idea of living within community. And so we have become so unbelievably self-sufficient. Now this comes in a direct issue with God because God in his scriptures tell us very clearly that as humans, we are to fully rely on God for literally every breath that you're taking. You're relying on the fact, he's saying yes, that your heart is beating right now. You're relying on the fact that God said you could wake up today. You're relying on the fact that when you go home, that there's going to be delicious leftover Thanksgiving meals. That you're going to take that turkey that was so delicious, and you're going to heap a bunch of mashed potatoes on it, and you're going to throw some stuffing and you're going to throw this thing in a microwave, and you're going to warm this thing up by some magic stove thing, right? And it warms it up, and you take it out, and you're going to fill your tummy. And you're going to believe you fill your tummy because you've worked hard to earn that meal. The fact is that God said yes. And so humanism and individualism comes in conflict with the fully reliance on God. And what we've been exploring is that creates a tension with us as humans. The tension that is here and the tension that is real for us is so what is it? Like, I know I have to take care of myself, and I know that God takes care of me, but the problem that I don't like about this whole story, Jason, is that I am not in control. I'm not in control. What do you mean that I have this fantastic 401k set, and I'm all set for my future, I'm going to retire, and what do you mean that the market's going to crash? What do you mean that I might not have everything I wished for? What do you mean that even though I work out all the time, take care of my body, there's some mystical being in the sky out on angel wings or whatever story that we start to create about God that says, I get to breathe today. I don't like that story. I like the story where I'm in control. And that's where we sit as a culture. The idea that this reliance on God is getting pushed out of the out of the evangelical Christian church. It's getting pushed out of evangelical Christian writings. It's getting pushed out because we want to say, if I do good things, God's going to give me what I want because he's a genie in a bottle. I rub the lamp. I'm a good guy. Give me everything I want. And that's not the God of the scripture. The God of the scripture tells us something quite different. I give because I'm a good father, because I love you. There's nothing you can do to deserve this. And so there is so many issues going on right now. And if you open your phone and you Google something, you have 75,000 different people with 75,000 different opinions. Friends, that's why when we come here and in our church family, if you're new to our church family, I just say this, I am too dumb to make stuff up. I'm just going to tell you what the Word of God says, okay? Because that book is older than all of us and the Word of God has such beautiful truth and such beautiful pieces, and in that context of the Word of God, sometimes there's things that rub us a little bit, and we don't necessarily like it, and this is going to be one of these messages. We're going to rub you a little bit. So if you're grumpy this morning because you have that, that tryptophan still running through your body, and you wish you were still sleeping, I, I don't apologize. Listen up. Here we go. In the Scriptures, we see this beautiful God that's called us into something, 
And he's called us into a relationship with him. And then he adds something to it as well. He calls us to a relationship with each other. He has brought the body together over 2,000 years ago. There's this gathering of people that started meeting in homes. and They started eating together. And they started giving to everyone who had need. And these Christ followers, the, the way is what they were called. Now we call them Christians. Start coming together. And they started caring for each other and caring for the community. But in the shift of individualism from community-based living, something has shifted, and it's happening in my generation and to the millennials. It's now trickling down to Gen Z, which is this. People are leaving the church in droves. People are starting to lose their faith in the church community. They're saying, what do I need it for? And now that we go to post-pandemic, past COVID, think about this. You can just stream me online. You can stream me online from the comfort of your bed. From, you can stream me online from the comfort of your cabin. You don't have to stream me at all because you don't know I didn't stream, so I don't have to tell Jason I was here or not. You can listen to podcasts. You know what? Jason's kind of boring. I'm going to listen to a better pastor, and I'm going to listen to better worship. You can stream and get all the content that you want. And so post-COVID, there's been a 30% decline in people attending church. 30% decline, and we're just figuring out what has happened because once you didn't have to go to church, you're like, hey, this is kind of nice. I don't have to get up on Sundays. Don't you know I work hard all week? I'm up at 5, 6 o'clock every day during the work week. I work all day. I'm tired. Saturday, I got got to get the chores done. Sunday is my day to rest. And when I wake up, I have coffee, I have eggs, I have bacon, and I watch NFL pregame. That's nice. And then I'll stream maybe later. And so the idea of being part of a church community post-COVID has gone through a major shift once again. And this shift is fueled by individualism or self-sufficiency. Because we believe, now think about this for a second. Now you're all here, so this is not a message for you. It's for all of you at home who are streaming me right now. Just totally kidding. (laughs) We believe that your attendance or being a part of a body of faith doesn't really matter that much. Think about this for a second. It doesn't really matter that much. What does it matter if I don't show up? What does it matter if I'm not really engaging? Because the average attendance post-COVID of fully committed believers is less than twice a month. It's like 1.7. Now, how you get the 0.7 is beyond me. But it's like one and a half times a month people will attend a local gathering or be a part of a church community. Now, this is across America where our mindset is shifting, and it's shifting away from this idea that me being part of a family is important, but it's not about me. Whoa. Church attendance is not about you. How many times have you walked out and said, and not at this church, of course, I know you guys love us. Um, Man, I just didn't like that worship song today. Man, it was too loud today. Man, it was too dark today. Man, Jason went too long, which happens every Sunday, I know. Um, man, that sermon didn't really hit it for me today. Man, I didn't like how the kids managed it. We kind of say, like, I didn't like this, I didn't like that, because we're looking at it from an individualistic standpoint. What did I get out of this? Now, to be clear, you are coming to grow and to learn and to be in community. That I'm not saying you aren't, but add this to it. What if your time here is about the person who's sitting in the row in front of you? Have you ever thought about that? That you're here for a purpose that's greater than yourself because God has created the church not just for us as individuals, but for us as a community. And that you bring something to the community that's unique 
And you can love and care for and serve the people who are here communal or tribal versus individualistic. Because that is what God has created for us in a church family. But because we continually move more individualistic than tribal, this idea is becoming harder for us to conceptualize in American culture. So we're going to dig into some scriptures this morning. And this is going to take you on a journey of processing this idea. Because Jesus has set up for us something that is very culturally different within his culture as well. Okay? We're going to start out in Matthew 12 uh, today, verses 46 to 50. If you have your Bibles or Bible apps, uh, feel free to join us on that. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. Jesus is in this large crowd of people, and he's talking. And I love to think of Jesus and the scriptures kind of like a movie, because that's how I picture things. I want to picture what's happening. So we're in the Middle East. It's a hot day. There's this huge crowd around him, and Jesus is talking to this large crowd of people, and people are listening to him. Jesus listened to, people listened to Jesus because he was a rock star. They listened to him because they wanted something from him. They listened to him because they really wanted to learn from him. There's a mixed bag of motive, just like it would be in any of our communities. They were, but they were there because they wanted to hear this man speak. And we find that his family starts to come up, and they're on the outside of this circle. And so we're going to join into Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50, with that thought in mind. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. For us, we're like, okay, kind of a weird speech, Jesus, but we have to put ourselves into his culture. He's speaking to a large group of people who are unknown for the most part. They're going to be outsiders. Jesus tended to attract the outsiders to those who are listening. He attracted religious people. He attracted all these different groups of people by his teaching. And so he starts sharing this idea. And now they say, whoa, 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 Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. Your mom, your fam is here. Get the fam in the circle because they need to be by you. You need to honor them. For in Jesus' culture, your family was literally everything. If you did not have a name, if you were not from a lineage of somebody, your name was everything. That's why we hear of Joseph being a carpenter, right? Jesus' dad, or human dad in that state, was a carpenter. And that we learn, in history tells us that Jesus would have trained in the concepts of his father as a carpenter until he took his ministry at the age of 30. So that's what sons did. They follow in the lineage then of what the fathers did before them and where they are from and how are they connected to the lineage of King David in the Jewish culture. Your name was everything. You had a great name. You had everything. If you had a bad name, not so good. And so family was literally everything. If you're an outcast, and didn't have a family name. You relied on people to take care of you. You see in the scriptures people begging, the poor. You see people who have no one to take care of them. You have to assume that when this happens, that there's nobody left to care for these people. Because again, your family was everything. Now we just had Thanksgiving, right? Some of us joined together with family. Some had family far away. Some of us don't have family left on earth. We had a lot of different experiences that happened over Thanksgiving. And for those who have great experiences with Thanksgiving, either in your childhood or this last week, you think of all these fond memories of this joyous time of eating and celebration and story. 
but some do not have good stories. Some, for some, Thanksgiving was a painful time in their childhood that they remember a very negative experience or they sit here by themselves for the first time for Thanksgiving saying, this is a terrible time because that family dynamic of what your family is doing, if it's a healthy or unhealthy dynamic, changes the way that you're going to feel about a celebration such as Thanksgiving. And so Jesus enters into this story and they say, you need to honor your family. Bring them to a place of honor. Like they're rock, you're rock star, they're rock stars. Bring them in. And he says, this is what I want to say to you. You are my family. You're my brothers. You're my mother. You're my sisters. You're my cousins. You're my crazy uncle. The one you know who's throwing mashed potatoes at, all that kind of stuff, right? Like you are my family. And as a family, we are, this, the honor is here and we take care of each other. So for Jesus' time to make a statement like that was astronomical because the crowd of people that were there were going to assume were really messed up people. It wasn't pretty, nice, put-together people. Jesus attracted strange crowds of people. And he says, my disciples, the one who do the will of my Father, are my fam. If you do the will of my Father, if you follow him, we're fam. If you don't want to be a part of that, that's okay. But you're outside. So all is so simple. All you got to do is follow the will of my Father, which the will of the Father, as we find out, is following Jesus. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, boom, it's it. We're family. And so now as a family, we have to rethink everything. If there is a large crowd of family, how does humanism and individualism work into that? If you've ever been around an extremely selfish person, one who is always talking about I, the person who is always focused on themselves, maybe it's my issues, so forgive me, but I'll just give you my issues, and maybe you're better than me. I can last maybe 15 seconds. My patience is so thin for people who are so, like, and just bragging and always about themselves. I have such a little threshold, and I have, again, my issues, you guys are better than me. But my issues come to this, all you're caring about is yourself all the time. What would it look like instead of saying I, we start to use the word we? But I'm going to tell you, I've been doing ministry for quite some time. And a lot of the conversations I tend to come to is about I in the church. I don't like, I want. Or how come we don't do what I want? That's another where we comes in, right? Because we look at this in the same way we'd look at, in a lot of ways, a country club we're joining. Does it have the benefits I want? Does it have a nice building that I want? Do you have a nice drinking fountain like I want? Do you have valet parking like I want? Do you have everything that I want? Do you have the coffee that we have? Killer coffee, but do you have the, the coffee that I want? Is the sound the one that I want? Do you play the songs that I want? And we start to look at our church community as how does this fit my wants versus, wait a minute, Maybe I'm part of a family in which we say, we. We. Now, I'm not talking about styles or individualism of, of like, I prefer, I get, that's not preference. We're talking about the core of the way that we believe something when it comes to family. So if we truthfully are family, Jesus goes another step on it. it says this, John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? 
love one another. This is how you know you're a disciple of mine. If you tell everybody on the back of your car, I follow Jesus with the Jesus fish, and if you wear Jesus t-shirts, and if you got the WWJD bracelet, if you're too young to know what that is, Google it. If you have all these things in which you say, but I'm religious and I do all these things, that's how I know that I'm a disciple. And friends, I'm telling you, that's not how people are even interested in God anymore. In fact, if you try to think symbolism is going to get anyone to understand your disciple, you're not understanding where our culture is in 2022. Now, I have the joy of purposefully not always sitting inside of this church. You guys may not know that. Nick and I purposely do not sit in here for 40 hours a week. We are intentionally and purposely out in the community with people who are all over the place. And let me tell you how people know that we're different. It's, it's, it's going to blow your mind. It's how we love them. Who knew? That love has been the factor of how people are like, what is your deal, Jason? I love people who are super far from God. I love people who are close to God. I love people everywhere in between. I love people who go to church. People don't go to church. I am loving, and the, what the key factor is, is they're seeing of how I love my community of faith and how I talk about you. How I talk about you. I talk about, oh my word, I love our church family. I call you the church family, by the way. I love our church family. And I love our church family because of this. I love the fact, and then I fill in a story of something that's happened. I love the fact that we think about love where you live versus it's all about us. We love our community. We love outs. Isn't this all coming together right now? That we are outward focused versus inward focused. We are community focused versus individualistic focused because Jesus has called us family. And as I tell these stories, and I have the honor of sharing how much I love my family. Like, dude, I don't love my church like that. In fact, I don't go to church. Oh, tell me your story. And then they tell a story. And those stories often come with pain. Often these stories talk about a story in which they were engaged in some church environment in which it left them with such a sour, bitter, hurt taste in their mouth. And they're like, I just don't want to be a part of that again. I was with a group of strangers that I trusted. I thought they were my family. And then here comes the story. I was hurt by an individual. This happened. And they start to tell me these stories of pain from past pastors, from past leaders, when they were youth, when they were older. And I sit and I listen. And I say, and this is what I say to most people. I'm so sorry that you had that experience. And because I know you'll probably not get an apology from them, can I apologize for them? For those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. And they sit there and like, what's your deal? I'm like, because I love you. And I hug them. No. So. <laughs> but this is the big idea, guys, is that when we do not love well, we are ruining the opportunity to even say the name of Jesus in a group. In fact, when we don't love well and we don't love each other well and love our community well, this whole thing of like, what is your deal gets all mixed up into a weird blender of their experience of pain plus individualism, plus why would I go to a place and actually have people care about me? They don't care about me. Or they only care about me, and maybe you have this experience, as long as they get something from me. As long as I serve, they love me. As long as I help, they love me. As long as I do X, Y, Z, they love me. And some of my friends in this room, and you guys know, I, this is an experience for some, not here at Mosaic, they love me as long as they know how much I'm giving. 
then they love me. As soon as I stop being loved, oh, I stop coming to church. Well, wow, all of a sudden the phone calls end, the, the conversations end. It's sad, the experiences of things they talk about. And so a movement started between Gen X and millennials that said this, we love Jesus, but we hate the church. We love Jesus, but we hate church. We love this radical man who came to save us and loved. I love his teachings, and we love this Jesus, but we cannot stand church. And so the exodus of church that I've talked about in the beginning has been moving and moving. And my experience is this. Perhaps they have experienced something that isn't really what Jesus set up because Jesus set up the church. So you can't say I love Jesus but hate what he set up because it was his idea. What we can say is we love Jesus and we need to have a reformation of what's happening in the American church. We need to change what's happening in the American church. We need to go back to where we were in the roots, where we care for each other, love each other, deal with each other, take care of each other. Let's go back to where we're supposed to be, where churches were created to care for their communities. And that's why we church planted. Because that was something in my heart and in Nick's heart all those years ago. Because something had to change. I had this holy unrest inside of me. It says, why do people walk at church on Sunday with a fake smile on their face and they call me on Monday tell me their life is falling apart? Why can't we have that conversation on Sundays? Why can't we be real? And the second question is, why do they only feel they can call me? Why don't they have other believers, other people in life they feel like they can talk to? And that started this movement and this cascade of what we can do to be a part of changing it. Now, we've been around for three years, and as anything is ages, we start to slide. That's just the way things work. What's been really cool is as a leadership team, we've been sitting down and talking about this very core thing. How do we go back to being the reason why we planted, the core of why we planted, for exactly why we're here, which is to love each other and love our community. And I can't tell you how excited I am as I listen to the Impact Ministry, which is our outreach, uh, working in our community, working all over with the things that they are dreaming of, praying about. They're on their knees asking God, what is our next step? And how do we engage a community? And I said this, here's my dream. My dream is that every opportunity we have to love people, that everybody who calls Mosaic home would be their loving people. 250 people call Mosaic Church home. Not on Thanksgiving weekend, as you can tell. 250 people call Mosaic Church home. What if when we have to respond, 250 people show up with open hands and said, what can I do to help my family and what can I do to help this community? That, my friends, is why church is great. Do not give up on what Jesus started a really long time ago when he called us fam. Because when he called us fam, he did something beautiful and he made us into something that is hard and we're going to hurt each other and I'm, I'm going to mess up. You're not going to like me sometimes. It's okay. Forgive me. Let's love each other because if we can do this well in this context, if we can't do it, imagine what they think. People outside the church walls, like they can't even love each other and they say they love Jesus. But if we can love well, all the world will know that we're his disciples by how we love. So one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, he writes in his book, he writes uh, uh, some of the teachings. So Peter gets all these teachings from Jesus and he gets them all together and he writes a couple of uh, books that we have in our scriptures. In 1 Peter 3.8, he has a very simple statement taking this idea of family, the very simple idea 
And he says something so unbelievably complex. 1 Peter 3.8 says this. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. In this verse, I'm going to read this again. I just want you to process for a second. Listen to this verse again. Process this through the context of what we just read about Jesus, saying we need to love each other and that we are family. He says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. I do not know of one person I've not met. If it's you, um, tell me after because you just blew my sermon. I do not know of one person who does not want to be treated this way. If I walk into you and I say, hey, we just met. I want, to, I want to be in sync with you. I want to hear your story and be sympathetic to you. I want to love you like you are literally my family. I want to give you what's mine is yours. I mean, everything I have is yours. And on top of that, I want to have a huge amount of compassion for you to walk with you through your pain. And on top of that, I'm not better than you. I'm with you on the journey. And here's the thing. You're going to hurt me, but I'm not going to hurt you back. I'm just going to continue to love you. And if you hurt me, I'm going to pray and bless you. Who does not want that type of relationship? Now, if the church in America did this, let's just say, I don't know, 10% of the people who attend a church lived this way, it would start a movement that would take over an entire community. But we get in the way. We struggle, we mess up. I mess up, you mess up, we all mess up, right? And so I might nail a couple and then all of a sudden, I don't do evil for evil, but ooh, insult, what'd you say? What'd you say about my mama, right? Like, so what did you say? And then we, we rise up and the humility's gone and the insults start and we get mad and we get angry and we get frustrated. Guys, this isn't about perfection. This is about what our standard is. Because when we look at the world standard versus God's standard, we're always gonna be in conflict with each other because the world standard says it's all about you, you get yours. God's standard is that you're a family, you sacrifice everything for others. You cannot do both at the same time. If you try to, people are going to see your walk and say, that's why I don't go to church. Because you say you do this, but really, you act like this. What do I want to be a part of that? And so, I want to break this down for you uh, piece by piece. What is Peter telling us? This is, this is one of Jesus' disciples. This was the number one. This was his boy. He loved Peter, and he said, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. And so Peter is the rock in which Jesus began the church. So you have no room to say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, because it's like, I love Jesus, but I hate Peter? Like, he started this stuff, right? So Peter writes this as one of his disciples who's heard his teachings and has watched him. He says this, first of all, live in harmony. What does that mean practically? Are we pursuing the same goals as followers of Christ? What's our number one goal if you say you're a Christian? And this might be like, Jason, I know the answer, but this might be new to you. What is your purpose? Is God glorified? It's not about you. Your salvation, if you've come to faith in Jesus, is that you glorify God for the work that he's done and that your life transformed is about the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is all about him all the time. So when we're in harmony, it begins with that we believe that God is glorified. When we live in harmony, we believe as a group of people that sin is a cancer that destroys everything. 
It's nothing to be played with. It's nothing for you to email me to try to find a way around it so that you can somehow get a pastor to somewhat agree with you, say, well, my pastor said this is okay, because that is what's happening. It's that sin is detestable because it kills everybody. It kills everything. It frustrates us, and that we as a church family say we want to rid sin from our lives and from our community. Now, is that going to happen? You're not going to finish it here on earth. No, but it's our goal. And when we're in harmony together, what that means is that if I am sinning, you approach me in love and say, Jason, I got I to share with you. I got to share with you. I saw this. And you know I love you, and I'm your brother. But we're in this together to get rid of sin, so let me share with you. I'm not judging you, my friend. I'm not judging you, pastor. What I'm saying to you is that we hate sin, and I saw sin in your life. I want to call it to you. I want God to work in your life. I've got men in my life that say that to me way too much. But it's good. It's good. Because that is what it means for us to live in harmony. I, uh, I love, I've been a musician for a long time. Super crazy Jason fact. Um, class of 1994, I won musician of my class. You would never know that, right? Because I never play any instruments. Um, I, I wanted athlete, I didn't get it. So, um, so I, I love music. I've played music since I've been in kindergarten. I played violin, I played viola. Um, I got into different choirs and different things. I've done vocals. I've done different music. And I, and I love music. It's one of the ways of my pathways of connection. One of my favorite things of all things is harmonies. I love when you have a voice that comes in here and comes in here. And I can listen to a cappella forever when they have harmony. What I cannot stand are three people all trying to sing the melody because somebody's always off. And it does not sound good. But when you take three people who are in pitch and they hit that harmony, there's a sound there that just kind of makes you purse your lips. And you're like, Jesus, if anything like this is in heaven, this is awesome. Because the sound when people are in harmony is that they come together uniquely, but there's this beauty that comes of that connectedness. And harmony is something that focuses them together. Like we are focused on one thing, God's glory. Next, he says, have sympathy. Do we as a family respond to each other's needs? Do we care for each other? Do we act on it? Do we actually do something when someone's in need? When I, <laughs> uh, boy, this is all about Jason's confession day. See, I'm gone for a week. This is what happens. Um, I struggle with sympathy. As I'm a typical dude who doesn't feel much most of the time. And I remember when I was a youth worker, um, I, I had a group of teenage girls who all started crying. And I just said, oh, and I just slowly started backing out of the room, right? You know, and the, the youth leaders, when I'm like, okay, youth workers, you've got this. I'm just going to slowly walk out of the room. I have no idea why you're crying. I don't understand how to feel. I don't understand what's happening at this moment. And then I've been through life that has kicked me in the teeth a million times over. And I had people model for me sympathy in my life who, when I went through something, sat and cared with me as I cried in a room, just sat silent, put their arm around me. That sympathy of having somebody by your side brings a comfort at a place where only a touch at that moment can do it. Only a I'm here with you can do it. Even a voice over the phone, I'm with you in this. That sympathy creates something that is so unique and when done in the, again, our purpose for the glory of God, we're doing this because that's 
the way our master would live. That's the way God would live. That's what Jesus would do. And so that sympathy, and we're caring for each other, and we're in it, and we're responding to the needs of others is what family looks like in a healthy family. Again, I want to respond and to speak to those who didn't have healthy families. I hear you, my friends. If you did not have a healthy family growing up or had negative experiences, I hear you. And a lot of this is going to be like, Jason, I hear what you're saying, but come on, man. I hear you. Let me say this. Let this place be a place you start to really feel it. If you had a negative experience, I'll say, maybe you'll never get that apology. I'm so sorry that you don't know what that feels like. And you had that negative Thanksgiving. Let me say, let, let this place be different. That we walk with you. Now, not all of us are going to get it right, but but we're, this is our goal, right, is to live as the scriptures call us to. And that sympathy in those times of needs, that is the essence of family. Love as family, Peter moves on. My life is in defense of yours. I remember many, many times when I have come to the aid or come to the defense of my family. I remember many times I've come to the defense of my boy, my brothers, right, my, my guys, right? You know, uh, I, not that I would pick a fight, but, you know, I may have gotten a scuffle or two. So, but, but there's this defense. I want to defend my family. My job is to take care of. My job is, uh, as a man is to love women as my sister. And my job, as, as if I'm a female or a woman, is to love my men as my brothers. And I look at family very differently than culture looks at men and female. My job is to not see you as someone to a means to an end. My job is not to see somebody as I'm going to use you to move ahead. My job is to not see you as a sexual being here for my desires. What I'm supposed to believe and what I'm supposed to live as a follower of Christ is that you are my sister and you are my brother, and we are family, and I'm going to treat you like that. And I don't like my brothers and sisters sometimes. We don't get along all the times. I'm sure you guys do too. But I love them. And love looks a lot different in how I think about, react to, and treat brothers and sisters. And as family, when we come into this gathering place, this is a place in which you should feel family. You should feel that sacrifice. You should feel that I'm going to be taken care of. You should feel like you are safe. And if you do not, and if you've had a negative experience, I'm asking you, please do not be silent in this church. Please speak to Pastor Nick or myself, and we will walk with you through that because this is a safe place. If there's been something that's uncomfortable said to you or something happened, do not, please do not hold silent. We do not believe in that here. We want you to speak because we defend those who can't defend themselves, because you're my brother and my sister. So speak, please, to Nikarai if you've had an experience here at this church family or even outside that we can walk with you with in which you do not feel safe, which moves to compassion. Feel my compassion in that? Because compassion is a sensitivity for those who are hurting and for those who are in need. We're supposed to be compassionate towards one another that when one of us is hurting, all of us is hurting because we're family. And as we hurt together, we care for each other, we walk with each other, and do we then respond? Or do we say, oh, I feel so bad for you. 
Oh, the Packer game is on. No one cares about the Packers. Let's skip by that. The Bucks game is on, right? But this compassion, this idea of compassion for each other, when you start to build this compassion within your heart for the family of God. Now listen, this means people who you don't necessarily like. This means people that aren't necessarily your best friends. This means because Jesus said it's easy for you to love those who love you. I'm telling you to love your enemy. It might be someone you're not getting along with. That's family. And finally, humble before each other. Can we put down our own agendas so that the next person gets the credit? It is not all about us, but instead we are part of a family in which we give to each other and we love each other and your needs are greater than mine. So tell me how, if you're not involved within a local gathering of people, how can you live this out when you're just watching online? How can you live out and practice the fact that I need to be humble, be compassionate? Yes, there's other outlets. We're talking just about this scripture right now, and I'm not saying you're not being compassionate and loving and caring outside there. I'm not saying that. I'm saying within the body of Christ, when we do this, the world will say, look at that group of people. Why do they love that way? Because they must be followers of this Jesus. How do I be part of that? Instead, Gen X and millennials are saying, look at the church they just listen to a guy talk on Sunday and don't care. I don't want to be a part of that because that church hurt me and they walk away from church. Is it fair for them to say that? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know their story. But should we redeem the purpose of us being a family and caring for each other? 100%. Because God has created his church for a unique facet. Whether you like it or not, we are made for each other. We are made for each other. And I'm not talking about just the walls of mosaic. I'm talking about the entire body of God. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ, we're made for each other. I don't care what name's on the outside of your door. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're a Bible-believing, gospel-believing church, and they've given their life to Christ, those are my family. And there's been times I've met people for the very first time, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my word, this is so amazing. I didn't know your name a minute ago, and now we're brothers. That's family of God type stuff. And when we are in this way of thinking that we are made for each other, it's going to change the way that you view what this is about. Because when you come, now you're coming for the worship and adoration and the glory of God through the singing of song, through the hearing of his word, and now you're here for something very unique. How can I love and serve somebody who's sitting inside of this room? There's one thing we were, Nick and I were talking about, and I'll share this with you. Um, so inside, if you're a fly in the wall of Jason and Nick's meetings, Usually a lot of laughter, making fun of stuff, and then we get serious. So, we were talking about this. And I said, you know, something that I feel that, that we're not understanding anymore in this current culture is that I understand, I mean, there's a lot going on. Say, Sundays are no longer sacred. We've got soccer, we've got volleyball, you've got kids' things, you've got, there's nothing sacred about Sunday anymore. I understand in our culture. I said, but what, something we don't think about is that when someone's absence affects somebody else's attendance. Somebody's absence affects somebody else's attendance. Think about this. A new person walks into a church, right? A new person walks in. If you're new today, uh, you just had this experience. It's super weird, right? You, you don't know where anything is. You're super uncomfortable. Where's the bathroom? Is this guy going to talk too long? I don't know much about it. I saw the website. I'm uncomfortable. There's these feelings of new guests, and that's why we work so hard to have new guests have great experiences but it's, it's awkward and hard. And that new guest comes and that new guest sits down 
And that mucus sits there and they enjoy the service. Like, oh, that was a very nice service. But you weren't there to say hi to them. So this new guest gets up. People are talking. This new guest looks around. No one's talking to this person. This new guest walks through the door and they leave and they say, wow, I didn't really have a great experience there. No one talked to me because you weren't there. Maybe you should have been there to say hi to that person because it's, it's not my job to say hi to everybody. We try to. I mean, depending on Sundays, I mean, there could be a lot of people here, but it's not our job. It's our job. Because we stop to think, wait a minute, what if I'm going for the purpose that God's going to have a special appointment for me to sit with that woman who just had went through something catastrophic and cry and pray with her? That's why I'm going on Sunday. And maybe I'm going because I just need to be filled. I'm going to worship and have a great time. And then, oh wait, there's a new person. What if people just need to see you to be encouraged by you? What if Nick and I just stop showing up? We've thought about it. You would say, wait a minute, Jason, we need you. You and Nick have to preach the word. You and Nick have to shake our hand. You and Nick have to, it is not Nick and I. We are not Mosaic. We are Mosaic. And we are family, whether you like it or not. And your part of this family is so important for your story, for your family's story, and for this family's story. There's a new statement that just came out about the next generation who is walking away from church. What do I do with my children who don't want anything to do with faith? The statement was one sentence. Go to church every week. Stop telling them that soccer is more important in their life. Stop telling them that all these other things are more important tonight. Stop and pause and model and teach your children in the next generation that they need to be in a community of people in which they are loved, cared for, accepted, worked through, cry together, brokenness. Because friends, I've seen the church do things that no other organization in this world would do. Because the amount of generosity that has come out of the church environment and the, let's say, percentage of money, yes, other companies give money away, they do that at a certain percentage. I've seen churches give, take care of, and do crazy things out of love for strangers. Only God's family does stuff like that. So today, as you're processing, I'm going to go over this again. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love another. To do that... We have to be present. We have to be in each other's lives. Sunday gathering is just the starting point of what that means. We have our groups that are joining our discipleship pathway. Nick has told me stories of, Jay, you will not believe what is happening with a group of people who were first complete strangers, and now they're telling their stories, and they're being real, and they're on this journey. And I know it's just a percentage of so much more that could be. We're looking at new ways to connect so that your journey can begin and start what we're talking about because it's scary. We understand that first step is scary. So here's your very first step of saying, now I'll know I'll show up on Sunday. Start serving. Serve somewhere. Do something because then you got to show up, right? Well, you don't have to, but, you know, Heidi will call you like, where are you? Right? So start serving. It's a simple way to start getting connected, simple way to start meeting people, simple way to just get your foot inside of the door of making this place feel more like home. 
Then I say, take the next step. What does it mean to get deeper in relationship? What do groups look like? What does it look like to be in a prayer group? There's so many opportunities for you. But my friends, I'm telling you this. Is it tribal or is it individual? Are you here to grow both yourself and a community? Or are you here because you're trying God to not be mad at you so you went to church on Sunday? Kind of like taking your vitamins. That's not why God established a church, not what Jesus said when he said, this is my family. What he did over 2,000 years ago is he said this, these people who follow me, this is my fam, and we're going to live together like family. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.